Well, my, the title for this evening's sermon is Christ's death brings us to God. It is through Christ's death that we are brought to God. And my, the verse that we will be focusing on is verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. But as you see, there is a four there. And when there is a four, it means that it, there is a context that needs to be considered. The Apostle Peter, very much as we were considering this morning as well, is trying to exhort the Christian believers reading this uh, letter to act uh, and to... to he's trying to witness to them what it means to be a true Christian, that it is indeed good to suffer for doing good, that it is clearly in the eyes of God better for, to suffer for doing what is right than to suffer for doing what is wrong. And he's trying to bring the, that sense uh, of it is not uh, judgment when a Christian suffers for righteousness' sake. This is the message of verse 17. He says to them, For it is better, if it is the will of God, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. And the way that Peter wants to bring this point home is by pointing the believers, the Christians, to Christ. He says, look to Christ. Was there ever someone who suffered for doing uh, good? Uh, in comparison to Christ. Christ is the ultimate example of someone who suffered for doing good. He was so perfect, so just, that he could even suffer for the unjust. He was willing and able to suffer and die for the sins of others. His suffering came from doing good. From his holy goal of bringing sinners to God. So that is the context. But I think from this verse there are three implications that we need to consider. One of them is the nature of that good. What it means to be brought to God. To, to have nearness to God. Secondly, what deprives, it, uh, deprives us from it? Our own sin. It is said here. And thirdly, how we can be restored to that good through Christ's sufferings. So firstly, the nature of this good. What it means to be at home or what it means to be near to God, to be brought to God. There is a famous passage in St. Augustine's Confessions a very quoted, quoted passage. I'm sure many of us have heard it. He says there that uh, in, a, in a sort of prayer to God, he says, You have made us for yourself, O Lord. And our heart is restless till it finds its, uh, its rest in you. Our heart is restless until it rests in you. And there is a sense, clearly, that every creature that has ever been fashioned by God has a, a good, has a, a 
purpose, has something that it was created for and tends towards. Everything has a resting place, in a sense. If you, if you, if I, if you allow me to illustrate this, it's kind of like if you swing a pendulum. The pendulum will swing for a moment, but it tends uh, to find uh, its uh, point of stopping in the resting place. That's where it, it is fully at rest. There is no more movement. This is where it's, it is supposed to stop. And God has created every creature in the universe for a purpose, for that good, that, uh, for that place of rest, for that resting place. And most particularly, we, when we talk about mankind, we find that especially mankind was created for a purpose, to have communion, to have fellowship with God. And that until a mankind, a man or a woman, will, finds his, his or her rest in God, they will be permanently restless, as uh, St. Augustine's uh, quote. That is why we see people being so unsatisfied in this world. Permanently unsatisfied, as if there is nothing that can fill uh, their void. I don't particularly like that language that we often hear, uh, although it is appropriate in this, uh, uh, with some explanation, that language that there is a, a God-shaped gap in your heart and, and only God can fill it. In a sense, it is appropriate because we cannot find rest and we will not find rest in anything in this world because we were created to be spiritual and to find our rest spiritually. The, the, the reason why I don't find it uh, appropriate at times is because it, it's as if God can fill that small uh, gap in your heart and, and everything just becomes perfect. No, God is large and, and infinite. In that sense, there is no small uh, God-shaped gap in your heart. There is nothing that can even come close. And yes, there is a sense as well that because of the fall of mankind, um, spiritually, be, uh, man and women become dead. That we are born uh, na naturally dead in our uh, spiritually, and that, and even there's a sense that because of that spiritual death, uh, the further along we go in our lives, we become more and more estranged from God. We 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 sin, we sin more, and we become more and more estranged from God. But what I think is still possible, and it is certainly um, a reality, is that that restlessness is still there. That restlessness is still there, and we see this in the world. We see this throughout the world. We see men and women devoting their entire lives for one goal and one objective. And even when they get it, it's not always guaranteed that you get it. They're restless until they get it. But even when they get it, you find that their heart starts yearning for something more. There is no resting place. There is no uh, goodness in that thing by itself. As soon as that uh, mission and that drive is accomplished, they want more. 
it's not altogether surprising to me when I uh, recently we've been having been bombarded in the news with with this court case that is going on in America between two famous actors and you find and, and it's surprising in a way but in, not surprising in another you find that although they have everything although they have all the, the, the wealth they could ever wish for to spend in one life islands and mansions and penthouses all over the place there was still a restless and there is still a restlessness in them why? because there is nothing that can satisfy the, 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 can satisfy mankind besides God there is no resting place outside of God. We were created for Him. And yes, we can spend our lives running for him, from Him. And we, as carnal human beings, we can try to find the, some kind of, uh, of uh, goodness in the carnal things of this world. But we, we never find it. Ask any Christian that you know. And the, their testimony is going to be sort of that, uh, in that way. They tried. They try to find fulfillment, resting, uh, resting place in the things of the world, and they can never find it. We try to make ourselves content with less than what we were made for. That's why we never become content. And we become apart, estranged from God. We were created for a purpose. That desire is still very much present. Although because of the, the sinfulness of sin and the depravity of sin. We'll talk more about it in a, in a moment. Because of that, we, we suppress that truth in unbelief. And we try to find uh, fulfillment in the things of this world. The Lord says in Jeremiah 17 verse 13, Those who depart from me shall be written in the earth, because they have forsaken the Lord, the fountain of living waters. Psalm 73 that we were looking at last week finishes, or uh, towards the end, finishes with, 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 this, uh, with this sentence, with this, with this warning. For indeed, those who are far from you, God, shall perish. You have destroyed all those who desert you for harlotry. We were created to be near to God. And that's why we desire that nearness. Or that's why we feel unrest, uh, restless until we find that nearness. Not so much we desire because of sin. And that is the miserable condition that mankind finds itself in. Forsaken estranged from God in sin because of sin and it is very much a dangerous place to be it is a dangerous place to be far from God God who created us to go far from him, from him is a dangerous uh, place to be we are born because of the sin of our forefathers estranged afar off from him but because of our sins, we go even further off. So even in this world, the truth of the matter is, even in this, in this world, the people who fare the best, the people who have the most, but if they are far from God, they are still bound for destruction. Even those who may think they've found some kind of resting place. They're even those who have deluded themselves into a place where they think they don't need God, their life is perfect. Even if such a person existed, they are still in a very dangerous 
ultimately destructive pathway. And that is because of sin. We find in this verse that the goal of of Christ coming and suffering for our sins is to bring us to God because of our sins. He suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. It is our sins that break uh, us from the presence of God. It is our sin that create this chasm, this insurmountable mountain, this wall of separation between us and God. In a sense, because of our sins, we become exiles. Because of the justice of God. We are justly condemned to be banished from His presence. The one who is the life and the light of the soul. So our souls remain dead and in the darkness. And as well, because of our sin, we are unable. We are hindered to return to, to Him by ourselves. First, because of the guiltness of sin, of standing between, uh, standing between us and God, there is this unsurpassable mountain, there is this wall of separation, there is this uh, chasm that cannot be bridged, this chasm of our sin. And secondly, because sin does dominate over us. Sin dominates over us as a master dominates over a slave. He tells us uh, sin, uh, tells us what to do. Not only are we forced, but we become willing, willingful sinners. So the only thing we really desire, although there is a restlessness that will only be uh, find its resting place in God, the real thing we desire is to be further and further away from God because of our sin. There is nothing. Trust me, there is nothing in this world that will ever bridge that chasm. That will ever tear down that wall. There is nothing that will ever be able to go over that mountain. Because the critical issue that we find ourselves uh, as we consider the sinfulness of man and the holiness of God is how can man stand before a holy God? How can an unjust person stand in the presence of a holy God? Job said it in this way, how can man be righteous before God? How can he be pure who is born of a woman? Even if the moon does not shine and the stars are not pure in his sight, how much less man who is a maggot and the son of man who is a worm. How can we be brought to God? How can we stand in his presence? Amos says, can two walk together? Can, is there any way of fellowship of two walking together unless they agree? And that is the problem. Because we love sin, we cannot stand in the presence of God who hates sin. To be accepted by God, we must be perfect just as he is perfect. David said it. How shall we stand in the presence? Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. No one else can ascend. No one else can come into the presence of God. It is very much our dirty hands and our our impure heart that forbid us from ever coming into that goodness of nearness to God. You want to come to God, even if you uh, uh, could want to come. You cannot because you couldn't last. Your sin prevents you from being in the presence of God. 
Because God is uh, Him who alone has immortality dwelling in approach, unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see. That is what Scripture says. Every sinner is unjust. So you cannot stand in the presence of the just, holy God. This is true of us all. By nature, we are born in this state. We deserve His wrath. We deserve His condemnation. The consequences of our sins are there, and they are not good. Because He is a holy God. That is the great problem. He is a holy God. It is perhaps his chiefest of attributes. The, the most distinctive thing about God is that he is holy. When the, when the, the high priest uh, would come into the temple, he had a, 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 mite, a, a meter, and it, it didn't say God is love. No, it said that holiness unto the Lord. When Isaiah saw that, 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 that vision at the beginning of Isaiah in chapter 6, he sees God in his temple. He is a holy God. And the whole train of his robe filled the temple. And what did the angels call out? Holy, holy, holy. And what was the reaction of Isaiah? Perhaps one of the, the most righteous men of his day, if not the most righteous, outwardly speaking. I'm undone, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. He understood, that is my problem. I have a great problem now. I'm in the presence of the Holy One. I'm near to Him, and I'm, I'm a sinner. The problem is, just as much as the chief attribute, the main attribute of God the, is holiness, the main attribute of mankind, of men and women born in, uh, in this world, is sinfulness. We are sinners. That's what the Bible calls us. That's what the Bible calls you. You are a sinner. You are a sinner. You have strayed away from God. So how can we be brought to God? How can we be brought into the presence of God? God and sinners are polar opposites. We love the things that God hates and we hate the things that God loves. Is that not true of you? Even as the word of God is preached, you don't want to hear. You want to close your ears. You hate the message. You like a lot of things about Christianity, but certainly the message of the gospel is something that you push back against. So how can we be brought to God? Let me just, before we move to our third and final point, let me say how we cannot be brought to God. Let me say how uh, some of the things that men and women throughout this world think that will bring them to God, but they are utterly devoid of any Bringing power. Firstly, the law will not bring you to God. The law cannot bring you to God. You may hang the Ten Commandments in front of you. You may uh, have them permanently etched in front of you. You may follow them as closely as you can. The law does not bring you to God. That is not the purpose of the law. The law came that sin might abound. 
The law does not do anything but show us what we are in that sense. Fulfilling the law, trying to be a very good person according to the law of God, will never bring you to God because the law lacks mercy. The law lacks the way of access to God. The law is there only as a mirror to tell you what you are. And if you're honest, you realize... As you look in the mirror of the law, you realize I'm a sinner. But just like when you look in the morning yourself in the mirror and you see that you have uh, your hair all messed up, not me, but some of you perhaps, you have your hair all messed up and you need to wash your face, maybe when you realize that, you also realize that the mirror doesn't do that for you, does it? The mirror is only there to show you what needs to be done, what, to show you what is a problem. Same thing with the law. doesn't matter how much you look to the law, how much you try to abide by the law, the law will not bring you to God. There are many people who are legalists. They think, if only I can follow the law to, to precisely, I will be able to come to God. No, you will not be able to come to God. To God. Romans 3.19, Paul says it. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. That is the purpose of the law. It is not possible for flesh to be justified by the law. The law will not bring you to God. You can read it, you can study it, you can strive to keep it, you can even preach it. You will not be saved and brought to God by the law. That's why Paul says, Oh wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Let, let me tell you something else. People tend to believe that coming to church will bring you to God. And in a sense, as we come together as a, a, a body of his people, when we gather in this building, uh, we are coming into God's presence, but God is not inhabiting the, these walls of the church small c. This, this building will not bring you near to God. It is not this building. God is not present in, a, in that sense in this building. God is in a, amongst us because of the indwelling spirit. So, well, I'm going to church on Sunday. I'm going to be near God. That is a very dangerous attitude to have. There is a sense you can say it. And it is indeed true, as you come together to worship with the people of God, if you are indeed one of his people, you are coming to gather into the presence of God, as he operationally works in, in the midst of his people. But remember that God does not dwell in temples made by human hands. He does not dwell in, uh, in, in uh, chapels made by human hands. Being a member of the church does not save you. Just as much as being a member of the, of the twelve did not save Judas. It's not because being a part of an organization, of a society, being a member of the church that will save you as well. If you're saved, you will want to be a member. If you're saved, you will want to be a, a fellowship and be in the company of believers. But it's not that company that will save you. And it's not that company that will bring you closer to God. And it's not just Judas. The New Testament is filled with people who are uh, part of the organization called the Christians. They were part of the group of, uh, uh, that would be uh, called by those outside Christians, those of the way, the disciples. And yet they were completely unsaved. Demas, Simon Magus, Alexander the coppersmith. There are many 
in the, in the New Testament. They are in just this problem. They might have thought, well, I belong to the company of these guys that have nearness to God. Therefore, uh, because I've signed the paper, because I assented to being a member of the church, because I go to church on Sunday, will do you nothing. That is not you, how you come near to God. And thirdly, and lastly, before we go to our, third, our last point, another thing that will not bring you close to God is your works. Good works will not bring you close to God. However, Christian and religious they may seem to those outside, good works will not bring you closer to God. The good works of the wicked are like dirty rags, the Bible says. And we have those, those words of our Lord Jesus. Those fearful and, and warnings in that day, many will tell me, Lord, Lord, didn't we do this? Didn't we, 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 we proclaim your, your gospel? Didn't we profess your gospel? Didn't we, uh, didn't, didn't we do many miracles in your name? What does the Lord say to them? Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I've never known you. I've never knew you. You're not a part of, my, of those I've brought to God. Religious duties will not save you. There are many in this world that have been fooled to think that they are near to God because they raise their hand at the end of a sermon. The pastor made the, or the preacher made the, an appeal. He called them. He, they, came, they came to the front. God is not in the front of the church as well. Just because you go down the aisle. God is not there. Because they, uh, they, they pray the prayer. They pray the sinner's prayer and they believe, oh, now, now I'm saved. I've checked the box. I've, did, I've, I've done my religious duty. Praying the sinner's prayer, coming down the front. There are many people. Admittedly, I've, I haven't been in those uh, kind of churches for many, many years now, thankfully. But I've been in, in such a church that all every Sunday, every time, there was a, a sinner's prayer, an appeal to come to the front, to raise your hand, stand up, come to the front, and the pastor will pray with you. And I've seen people come dozens of times to the front, and yet they would still come. Why? Because they never found nearness to God. They never found God there. So what is it? How can we be restored? If these are the things that do not restore us to nearness to God, what is the thing? What is the way? Well, Christ is the way. In our text uh, this evening, we find the, the answer. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. It is through Christ's sufferings, it's through his atoning death, that we are brought to God. The problem is, yes, that God is holy and we are sinful. We need something to be done about our sin. And the answer that the Bible gives us, the answer that the New Testament gives us, and the Old Testament as well, and we'll get there. The, the answer that the Bible gives us is that it's through the atoning sacrifice. In the Old Testament, how were the people allowed into the presence of God even though they were sinners? There were three things needed, right? They needed to have a temple where a priest would perform a sacrifice. And you get to the New Testament and you find those three things uh, in Christ Jesus. The cornerstone. He is the great high priest. The one who is fitting for us. 
Why is he fitting for us? Because he is the just, dying for the unjust. Are you unjust? Are you a sinner? You might say, oh, I'm a great sinner and I need forgiveness. So, well, Christ is a great savior. Christ is the holiest of holies. He is just purported, he is even beyond your sinfulness, holy. So that is the answer that the Bible gives us. The high priest who is fitting for us. The more defiled we are and were, the more uh, we stand in need of an undefiled holy priest and sacrifice. And he is both. Therefore the apostles here are very... The apostle here is very fitly mentioning his justness. That his sacrifice is the just for the unjust. And what does this tell us? There's an element of substitution. The just, the one who did not need to die for his own sins. The one who did not need to, to atone for his sins. He comes in as the just one. And he dies for the sins of the unjust. To bridge that chasm. To uh, level down that mountain. He is the one who comes and does it all. He comes in and on himself he takes away the guilt of our sin. He makes a way of access. Jesus Christ said that perfectly. He is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. And as he brings us closer to God, as he brings us into nearness with God, we find in God the giver of life to the soul. But I find it so, so, so starkly, the, the way that Peter says it here. He suffered once. He doesn't tell us that it was just the one time in the cross. But he suffered once. Just as uh, our sins are forgiven in, for his one suffering. But I, I truly believe that here when Peter is saying this, He's talking more, he's not talking less than the death on the cross, yes. But he's talking about the whole suffering of our Lord Jesus. His whole earthly life was a ministry of suffering from birth through his life unto his death. He suffered there at Bethlehem. He suffered throughout his ministry the scorn and the, and the, and, and, and the attacks he suffered on that garden of Gethsemane. He sweated tears of blood. He suffered as he was taken from one courtroom to the other. As he was displayed in front of the multitude. As he was given a cross to carry. He suffered as he went through that road into, into, the, into Calvary. He suffered as those nails pierced his hands and feet. He suffered as he was lifted up high. For six hours he was on that cross. He suffered once. The just for the unjust. He suffered as the, the weightiness of our sin was laid upon him. And as the father turns his gaze away. He suffered from the estrangement that we deserved. As the wrath of God came upon him as he drank that bitter cup of his wrath to the dregs. Not a, not a, a drop was left. He suffered once 
for all. He took our nature. He took our place. He was charged with our sins. With the sins of those he came to save. He suffered in their stead. And he died in their place. Yes, his death was violent both spiritually and physically. He suffered the shame and the reproach that was justly to us. Because his suffering was penal. He was a penal suffering. He was taking our sins. So it is very much our, the wrath that was coming to us. Falling down upon him on that cross. The just for the unjust. One dying once for sins. But as well in this word the once. The once there is a, a deep sense of satisfaction, of satisfactory nature of his suffering. He only died once. No longer there needs to be a punishment or a penalty for the sins of those that he carried on that cross. Once for all. He paid it all. It's done. So that now he can save those he, he, he are his to the uttermost. And now because he took our sin, because he took the sin of those he came to save, we are accepted in him. We are adopted in him, into the family of God. And we are brought into the presence of God in him. It's all because of him. It's in that the refrain that we find in the letters of the Apostle Paul often. In him, in him. It's because of him. It's not because of you, it's because of him. Because it is him that did it all. The just obedience that was required of us, Jesus did it. The punishment that we had to endure, Jesus endured it. He suffered. What we need to be reconciled to God was Jesus that procured it. And what he procures, he now gives to his people. The voice of the gospel is very much those words that Jesus himself spoke. Come unto me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. And I will give you rest. Isn't that what we were talking about this, this evening? Finding the rest that we, that we so desperately need. It is Christ and his sufferings on that cross, the just for the unjust, that gives us that rest. So my dear friend, if you are uh, under the conviction of your sin. If you say, I, I understand, I am a sinner, I need Christ. If you feel that pressure, insurmountable chasm that you cannot cross, that uh, uh, insurmountable mountain that you cannot climb, Christ says to you, come to me. Come to me. He is bidding you, come to the throne of grace that you may obtain mercy and help in your time of need. If your sins are staring you in the face this evening, come to Christ and he will forgive you. If you're, if you're thinking, oh, but God is, is too holy, I cannot stand in his presence. Don't trust the lies of Satan. Come to Christ and he will perfectly satisfy the justice of God. If your conscience is accusing you, come to Christ and he will cleanse your consciences, conscience in his blood. Come to Christ and he will save you. That's why he came. To return his people to God. The shepherd dying for the wandering sheep. 
Isn't that the, the image that he often used? The good shepherd. The shepherd dying for the wandering sheep so that the sheep could be returned to the fold. The Savior suffering that sinners may come to God and arrive in glory with certainty and honor. So if you are not, if you are estranged from God, come, don't delay it, don't put it off. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the acceptable time. But even if you have come, and I'll, I'll, let me just draw a few points of application for believers listening to this. Let's say that if you have been brought to God, if these things that I'm speaking of this evening are resonating as true in your own heart and you know I've been brought to God, God, we, we, I have been uh, saved by his blood. Remember that you might still be faulty in this. It is often the case as Christians, as those who have been cleansed in the blood of Christ, that we often dive, uh, break that fellowship and that communion that we have with God because of our sins because we start becoming too friendly with the world, because we start becoming too acquainted with sin and comfortable around sin. There is a sense that as Christians we increase, not decrease, that we increase in our nearness to God as we go in our path of sanctification. And perhaps you've become a little bit uh, complacent. Let me plead with you. Let me plead you by the, by, by the blood of Christ. Don't allow that. Don't, don't make little of the, of the sacrifice of Christ. His goal was to bring you near to God. Your goal should be in harmony with His goal. You should desire more and more day by day to become closer and closer with God. Not to stagnate and not to... Well, because when you think you've stagnated, you're actually uh, falling behind. You're backsliding. And let me say this. You call yourself a Christian, perhaps. But yet you love sin. How is that possible? How is that possible for you to, to call yourself a Christian and yet hate and love the things that brought such a suffering to Christ? That is impossible. You cannot love sin. How is it that you can find sweet those things that brought such bitterness to your Savior? How is it that you can find it pleasant those things that weighed down upon the soul of your Savior? You cannot. They who understand and have the correct view of him pierced for their sins will feel pierced at the sight of sin as well. They will cry out with, with Paul. Oh, wretched man that I am because I do those things that brought such suffering to my Lord. Someone who has been saved by Christ, someone who has seen Christ uh, in uh, suffering for their sins, cannot love sin. Cannot. And remember this as well for your comfort. 
that as you were brought to God by Jesus Christ, it is also by him that you are kept in him. It is a much firmer link, that link that Christ links us with God, than it was the link that we had with sin and with hell when Christ dissolved it. It cannot be taken away. He suffered once to bring us to God, never to depart again. And as he suffered once for all, so we are brought in once for all as well. Nothing can separate or cut us off. Being once knitted in Christ in this bond of union, yes, we may lose communion. Let me say that as I warned earlier. We may lose communion, but we never lose union. We may... uh, lose fellowship and and take steps back but he will never let us go take comfort that if indeed he has brought you to God through his sufferings through as uh, through his sufferings for your sins the just for the unjust he will lead you to God all the way there is safety there is safety in those words or as the apostle Paul said it Romans Romans 8, 38 and 39. And I'll close with these words. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor death, nor nor any created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. If you are his, take comfort in these wonderful...